Okay, let's do some quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. That's obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. To reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. Here's the thing. Information is power. Information is money. Literally, the currency of today's world of, of entrepreneurship is information. And if you could bring all of the, your, the information about your business into one dashboard, this is incredibly valuable. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of the truth about your business. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, access from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all of your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. This is so valuable. You just hit a button and you can see all the information about your business instead of having to like call five different departments and get all these emails and put it all together and make sense of it. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math, see how you'll profit with NetSuite. Backed by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash james, netsuite.com slash james netsuite.com slash james this isn't your average business podcast and he's not your average host this is the james altucher show today on the james altucher show a lot of people these days are complaining and whining. And I get it. Life is hard and 2020 is the weirdest. I don't want to say it's the hardest year, but it feels like this is a very weird year and it hasn't felt good. But I just want to kind of put things in perspective for a second before I introduce this next guest. Global life expectancy has only been going up since forever. So like in 1770, the average person lived about 29 years. And in 2010, average life expectancy was 69.9 years. But now average life expectancy is 72.6 years. Like every year we're going up in life expectancy. For the first time, nearly 60% of the world is using the internet. So we're all connected and exchanging ideas and, and, and so on. Over a billion people have gained access to electricity in the in the past 20 years. Uh, renewable energy, uh, solar energy since 2005 has gone up 20 times from, or even from 2010. There was 33 gigawatts generated by solar power. Last year, 724 gigawatts generated by solar power. In 2010, global extreme poverty was 15.7%. In 2020, it's down to 9.3%. No matter what metric you look at, the world is getting more and more abundant. And it's important to have an abundance mindset 
in order to be an entrepreneur, in order to solve problems, in order to think of better solutions, even in your personal life, it's important to realize that things in general are getting better, not just because of technology, but because of our understanding of the world around us and so on. So no matter what you've been arguing about on Twitter with your ex-friends now or ex-family members, just take a step back every once in a while and try to be grateful for the abundance that is growing. And I know there's a lot of bad news. I know there are things, this is not denying the things that we're upset about, but you have to balance it a little bit. And that's what I talk about with this next guest, Peter Diamandis. He's written a book called Abundance. He's written a book called Bold. He's written uh, The Future is Faster Than You Think. He has a newsletter about abundance called Future Loop. He's the co-founder of Singularity University with Ray Kurzweil and the first point we discuss is the mind wants to go towards the negative more than the positive. That's why all the headlines are negative because news media companies make more money being negative and trying to make you afraid. So we're gonna talk about the importance of the abundance mindset, he's the expert, and then we're gonna look at technologies one should look at that are growing exponentially and are gonna change our life literally within the next few years because they're growing so fast, starting from a small point. So that was a long intro, but here's Peter Diamandis. So Peter Diamandis, once again on the podcast to talk about abundance, exponential technologies that are growing as we speak, and just all the amazing opportunities are out there no matter what happens in this political season. Is that true, actually? Like, Peter, do you, given that technologies are growing exponentially, does it matter at any given point what the current political situation is? I'm asking a totally naive question. So, so listen, here's what's going on in the world. We have social systems rise and fall we have wars, we have disease, we have all of these things that are in short-term driving things that are significant to us as humans. But over the long-term, the world is getting better at a consistent and extraordinary rate. And the best way to look at that is if you look at the year sort of 1900 through 2000, that century, the, the 20th century, between the year 1900 and 2000, uh, hundreds of millions of people died. Uh, they died with World War One and World War Two and the Vietnam War. They died with you know the Spanish flu. They died with all kinds of insurrections around the planet. But regardless of that, regardless of all of these issues, between the year 1900. And in 2000, we saw extraordinary increase in abundance on the planet. We saw, you know, childhood mortality rate drop from 12% down to uh, 5%. We saw the concept of global poverty, extreme poverty, drop from 45% down to under 10%. Now, it isn't that we've gotten smarter over the last century, and it isn't that we've gotten better political systems. It's been the march of technology. And I think people, a lot of people are blind to the good news that we have. 
because we're bombarded by negative news all the time. And and if I could dive into that, especially now during during COVID-19 pandemic and during all of the elections, we are constantly bombarded by negative news night and day, 24-7, you know, just like flashing red lights. I call CNN the crisis news network. I don't have a great acronym for Fox yet, but I'm working on it. Um, and there's a reason that that would get bombarded by negative news. It's it's not that they're masochists, it's that they're in business. The news is in business. Newspapers, radios, televisions, you know, websites, they're in the business of attracting your eyeballs to their advertisers. And it turns out that physiologically, the way our brains are wired, we pay 10 times more attention to negative news than we do positive news. And a thousand years ago or a million years ago, as we were evolving on the savannas of Africa, that would save our lives. We developed a piece of our temporal lobe called the amygdala. It's about the size of an almond. There are two of them on either side of the hemisphere. And everything you see and everything you hear and everything you touch and feel goes to your amygdala first looking for negative news. And if it, if it detects any potential negative news, like a rustle in the leaves of a bush, you think lion, you don't think wind. If you see a scraggle on the ground that's a stick, you think snake, not stick. And, you know, 100,000 years ago, this would save your life. Today, it puts you in the state of panic. And, and so the old adage, if it bleeds, it leads, is very true. And so we're constantly bombarded by negative news because that's the business model. So if you open up the newspaper tomorrow or just look at any news broadcast and count the number of negative stories to positive stories, it's at least 10 to 1 negative to positive. And it's predictably that way. Good news networks fail. And so you have to ask yourself the question, is that the way the world only is? Is there no good news? And I would say, of course, there's a, there's a huge amount of good news. We just don't see it. We're basically sheltered from it because that's not what sells newspapers. Right, and I, I should add, I in general, I think news and content creation and content distribution is completely changing over this decade. So for instance, you always want to get as close to the source as possible, but you can't get too close to the source because it might be too scientific or it might be loaded down with jargon, which is why I think newsletters, for instance, I subscribe to your, you know, future loop newsletter, your abundance newsletter that, you know, where I see the latest technologies that are happening or the latest news events around going to space or longevity or quantum computing or whatever it is. And there's lots of newsletters out there that are better sources of reliable information than the mainstream news. I kind of think the mainstream news is the, is the walking dead. It's not, it's not, it's, it's on its last <laughs> legs now, but we'll see. People have predicted that before. Yeah. I mean, uh, just as an example, uh, I wanted to create, so let me, let me, let me change the subject slightly. I think that a person's mindset is the most important asset that they have. Right, James. So if I said to you, what distinguished Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos and Steve Jobs from everybody else? Was it the money they started with in their career? Was it the tech they started with in their career? Or was it the mindset that they had or that they developed? Uh, I would argue it's their mindset. I would argue that mindset is like the most important thing that you have. And if you stripped away all of the things from uh, from these guys and just kept their mindset, they would recapture all that they lost. 
just to add to the word mindset, I sort of feel they had a macro abundant mindset. They saw that the future was many technologies were growing exponentially and they were able to figure out which ones to ride. But they also had an internal mindset. Everyone said to Elon Musk, you can't learn how to build a rocket. You're not a physicist. And he gave himself permission to learn whatever he wanted to learn and do whatever he wanted to do, m money aside. A hundred percent. And so that mindset becomes fundamentally something that, uh, that people shape. But for most individuals, for most of us, we don't actually take the time to say, this is the mindset that I want. This is the mindset I'm going to select. This is the mindset I'm going to create. And yet it's so critically important. So one of the things that I've started doing, and I do this work for my Abundance 360 community, I do it for um, through Future Loop, is like, I want to actually shape my mindset. And your mindset is shaped by what you consume, what you read, the people you hang out with, the experiences you have, what's the stuff on your walls, all of those things shape your mindset day in and day out. So, you know, we're a lot of people right now are hearing about neural nets and hearing about artificial intelligence. And one of the things that if you have read about it or researched it is that you shape a neural net by feeding it data, right? So if you want to create a neural net that can recognize cats you show it images of cats and over a period of time it learns to shape its neural net to recognize the ears and the whiskers and the you know, the whole thing but if you if you share that neural net only images of cats and then you show it a dog it's going to say it's a cat because that's all it's ever recognized so if you are feeding your neural net your brain the 100 billion neurons in your brain the 100 trillion synaptic connections in your mind, if you're feeding it only negative news, you know, don't be surprised if you have a negative mindset and if you think the world is going to crap. Well, what's the benefits of, a, of an abundance mindset? And what, what, what do you do? What are you going to do today to kind of surround yourself with the right sources, people, creativity, and so on to keep your abundance creativity flowing? Yeah. So for me, the abundance mindset is something that I actively shape. It's something that I focus on creating and I focus on it from a couple different things. Um, first of all, I built a platform called future loop. It's free. Anybody can use it. It goes to futureloop.com. You can sign up. And what it does is it searches the world's uh, news, uh, millions of sites per day looking for abundance-minded news, which is how food, energy, water, healthcare, education is becoming more and more accessible and abundant globally. Um, it searches for exponential tech trends across all areas. It searches for longevity trends across all areas, and it provides a new site from the highest quality sites uh, of all of the good news around the planet to counter all the negative stuff. And so I'm blown away every day by the news I'm getting about how AI, robotics, quantum computing, 3D printing, synthetic biology, augmented virtual reality is reinventing retail and education and healthcare. And it's, it's, you can, you can, you can pick any subject you want and say, Hey, what's all the abundance minded news and exponential news around clothing, if that's the industry you're in. 
So you can go to futureloop.com, then I get a newsletter every day and I read it and I realize, wow, all of this amazing stuff is going on that I don't know about. So, you know, you can use Google News Alerts if you want to create that. But, you know, the other thing that I do, James, is I limit my my traditional news intake to 10 minutes a day. Hmm. In 10 minutes, I can find out, is there something going on inside the world that I need to know about? Right. And that's enough. I always tell people, you don't even have to do 10 minutes a day is great. You could do zero minutes a day because, and then people always ask me, well, how are you going to stay informed? Trust me, if things are happening in the world, you're just going to know about it. Your friends are going to call you. Your family's going to ask about it. It's, it's going to be in the zeitgeist. It's not like you have to read a, a mediocre reporter's opinion about it to become informed about it. Like you'll get your information if it's important. Most information out there is not important. Exactly right. And then you're letting some editor, some publisher, some individual out there decide what he's going to pump into your mind. Yeah. And, and I mean, I'm pretty, that pretty, that bothers me a lot. It's like, Hey, listen, you can't pay me enough to shape my mindset. I'm sorry, but you don't have the right. I don't care what the producers at Fox or CNN want to plug into my brain. I don't want it. And, and it's, is it really going to change your life? And like you said, you know, some amount of social media, some amount of friends, if there is a, if there's something that's going to impact me significantly, I have enough of a social circle that will make me aware of it where I don't have to listen to all of the crap that comes over the airwaves. And so like an AI and your brain is a neural net, hmm. be careful what you put into it because it's going to determine how you react. Yeah. It's so, it's so interesting because, and again, this is what I appreciate about future loop, your newsletter, Plus, not to mention your books, which you have a book, Abundance was the first one I read by you, which discusses all these exponential technologies. And I think people aren't aware of how important this concept is to society and to mindset. Like everybody knows, okay, Moore's Law is this law from 1966 or quote unquote law from 1966, which says computer power will double every 18 months. And the, the law has continued to go for as long as, and, and that's created multi-trillion dollar companies, a multi-trillion dollar industry starting from scratch. So if you know of other exponential laws like this, it's important to, to be aware of them and to study them. And you've identified a bunch of categories, whether it's, uh, you know, longevity, genomics, material science, AI, 3D printing, quantum computing. And I don't think... These should be the headlines every day in, in every newspaper because they're the ones that 20 years from now are going from tiny, tiny industries to worldwide, the only industries we're ever going to know about. And yeah. you could benefit by knowing about them now. Yeah, the, the challenge is that our brains were evolved for a different world, right? Our brains evolved 100,000 years ago in the savannas of Africa where the rate of change was very slow where it was the dangers that were most affecting us and our chance to survive. And so our brains evolved to be careful of dangers, not to take care of, you know, not to go after the, the major opportunities. And so we have to rewire our brains. And you asked me earlier, what's the advantage of an abundance mindset? 
And, you know, I know I've, I've spent uh, countless hours talking with incredible entrepreneurs from Larry Page and Elon Musk, which I interviewed in my second book, Bold, um, about, and they have abundance mindset. So let me just share a couple of the benefits of an abundance mindset. So if you have an abundance mindset, you understand the world is becoming more abundant, um, meaning that, that there are more and more opportunities. Every year, there's an increasing number of opportunities. Uh, and it allows you to maintain a hopeful and compelling vision of the future. And that positive mindset sets you apart from lots of people. You know, um, investors want to hang out with people of a positive mindset. Uh, employees want to hang out with a person that has a, a positive mindset. So you're able to attract the best members of your teams. The second is, you know, if you miss an opportunity right now, uh, this month, this year, you understand that, you know, next year, they're going to be much bigger opportunities. I mean, just think about for any industry, not the dying industries like coal, but, you know, the exploding industries like renewable energy, you understand that there is an ever increasing amount of opportunities and the future holds more and more exciting and fulfilling and profitable opportunities for you to pursue. This is a really great point. A lot of people always say, oh, well, all the great internet businesses were already created. No, it's totally not true. The best ones are yet to come. And the reason I could say this is because that statement has been true every single year since the internet started. The other thing people will say is, I'm just an accountant or I'm just a marketing manager. How am I gonna get involved in starting a renewable energy company or a nanotech company or whatever? How do you respond to the, the latter one? So the question is, all of these companies, these nanotech companies, these AI companies all have different uh, required skills. And you may be a person whose skill is marketing, or you may be a great storyteller, or you might be a financier, or you might be an investor, or you might know a problem really well that needs solving, but know nothing about technology, right? Technology is constantly uh, evolving, but a person who knows a problem really well that person is worth gold, right? The world's biggest problems, the world's biggest business opportunities. Want to help one income a billionaire, help a billion people. So it's how do you put a team together? And in this day and age, you can cobble together a team of AI experts, quantum computing experts, data experts, whatever you need, literally on the web from your desktop anywhere on the planet. Those resources are there. And so it's really about um, not assuming you're going to do everything yourself, but putting together a team in which you have a set of skills that help that team succeed. Right. And again, with Elon Musk being a great example, you know, he, he gets interested in how do we create space travel to Mars? He doesn't know anything about rocketry. I was there. I, I was there those exact months. It was 2000. He just sold PayPal to eBay. Uh, he, he had been driving across the country with a friend of mine, Adeo Resi, and they said, you know, we need to kick the space program into high gear. And they, Adeo and Elon flew to Russia to go and buy some rockets to try and do a private small mission to Mars. They wanted to land a, a plant on the Martian surface in, in a greenhouse or send a, a mouse around Mars. Anyway, when he got to Russia and he said, wow, these rockets are expensive and they haven't changed in 40 years. They're all intercontinental ballistic missiles, ICBMs. It's crazy. 
And the Russians tried to sell him something for an enormous price. And he said, this is ridiculous. He came back and he said, I'm going to start a rocket company. And he sat down with college level textbooks and he read about rocketry and read about the rocket equation. And he went and interviewed people and he hired some great people. Now, full disclosure, he had over a hundred million dollars he invested in SpaceX of his own money and failed on three consecutive launches. He was able to borrow enough money from folks like Peter Thiel and others to fund his fourth launch of the Falcon 1 that succeeded. And as a result of that, of that not giving up, uh, SpaceX today is a, you know, probably a 40, $50 billion company. You know, it's interesting. Realistically, if that fourth launch didn't work, what do you think would have actually happened to Elon? Like he says, oh, I would have gone broke. But like, what, what do you think really would have happened? I think he would have, uh, you know, maybe restarted the company, uh, maybe owned a lot less of it and recapitalized it. Uh, it had great tech. And listen, Elon is brilliant off the charts. I mean, you don't do what he's done over and over and over again. And one of the things that's interesting about him is he lives in this abundance mindset all the time. So when the Falcon 1 was working, he said, nope, we're going to kill that. We're going to burn the boats and we're going to start building Falcon 9. And Falcon 9 starts working and really well. And any aerospace company on the planet would be, you know, thrilled to have Falcon 9. And now he said, we're going to end Falcon 9 and we're going to start doing only starships, right? Once that's up and operational. So he's constantly challenging himself to completely reinvent the next technology, the next technology, because the next one is always better, not by a little bit, by like at least an order of magnitude. And you're seeing that in Tesla and you're seeing that in what he's doing in Neuralink. And that's his mindset. So, you know, uh, one one little story, you mentioned how it was Elon Musk and Adeo Resi going to Moscow. So in 1999, Adeo Resi was running a company called Method 5. I introduced Method 5 to another company that ended up acquiring it. So they, they acquired it for about $20, 25000000 million. So that's how I knew Adeo. And I remember the day before or a week before he was leaving New York City, he's like, listen, some friends and I are really interested in creating a company to fly a rocket to Mars. And he was like, you should get involved somehow. Maybe he put some money in or whatever. And I'm like, you know, I think I'm going to stay here on earth. Like you guys do your Mars thing. So I regret it now, of course, but that was my, I haven't, and I haven't spoken to Adeo since, but I used to be, I remember him very clearly saying, and me thinking he was completely insane for going on this endeavor. So part of an abundance mindset is looking at, these trends and being able to say, well, if this type of technology is doubling each year in 15 years, we'll be here at this point where technology maybe could launch to Mars or do other th amazing things or whatever. So it's kind of having that abundance mindset allows you to more accurately predict what's going to be happening, maybe not next month, but 15 years, 20 years from now. And that, that's not as far away as people think. Here we are, yeah. 20 years later, after I last spoke to Adeo about rockets. It's amazing, yeah. I mean, and the day before something is truly a breakthrough, it's a crazy idea, right? If it wasn't a crazy idea, it wouldn't be a breakthrough, it'd be an expected incremental improvement. But the day before something is really a breakthrough, it's a crazy idea. 
So, uh, you know, continue on a few of the other benefits of an abundance mindset, if I could, there's another two yeah. I'd love to mention. You know, in an abundance mindset, you don't fear the future, right? Instead, you are excited by it and you're excited to learn about the future. And I'm, I'm constantly surprised how many people are fearful about the future. Um, you know, in an abundance mindset, you view your competitors as potential collaborators. Uh, and, and, you know, the, the way I think about this is instead of thinking about there's a limited pie and if there are more people who are hungry, you have to slice the pie into thinner and thinner slices. And I call bullshit. No, in an abundance mindset, you, you bake more pies. Uh, and that is, you know, sort of a, a moonshot, a moonshot mindset, right? In, in to a traditional world, if you do really well, you can get 10% improvement year on year. If you've got a moonshot mindset, you're going to want to go not 10% bigger, but 10x bigger. Uh, and you're constantly reinventing your business. You're digitizing it, dematerializing it, demonetizing it, democratizing it. And these kinds of mindsets is what drives all of the top tech companies today. You know, and, and two things there. One is a lot of times people tell me, I have these all these ideas, but I'm afraid if I tell any of them to anyone, they're gonna steal my ideas. And I tell always tell people, let people steal your ideas. It's the same thing you're saying. You should think of yourself as abundant. So God forbid someone steals your idea and actually executes it on it better than you do, or you could, then power to them, let them do it. You will always be abundant with ideas. Just keep reminding yourself of that. The other thing is, it's very interesting, and this is this applies to any kind of category of success, the 10% the growth versus the 10X growth. 10% is never enough. Like, you know, Betamax tapes were probably 10% better than VHS tapes and yet lost the battle. Nobody knows when something is 10% better than another thing. They only recognize 10x better. So it's not good enough to be 10% better than your competitors because the people on the street can't tell. They're not expert enough to tell what's 10% better or not. They can only tell what's 10x better. That should be the only real goal in those things. But just, those are just two comments on, on what you were saying. Yeah, I, I agree. And, and by the way, um, getting an idea is the easy part, just to be really clear. clear. I, I, there are a, a million, a billion ideas that are never executed upon its execution. And so you really need to be clear, is this idea something I'm passionate about? Is it my massively transformative purpose? Is it what I wake up with in the morning? Is it what I go to sleep with at night? Is it capture my shower time? And if it is that, is it worth me investing my time, my treasure, my talent to go and make this happen? If it's just an idea, eh. It's got to have an emotional energy, right? Uh, an MTP, what I call it. What's MTP stand for? A massively transformative purpose, right? It's, it's got to be, ma you know, it's, if you're going to dedicate a year of time or, or, uh, or 10 years of your life, don't do something just to make money. There's so many ways to make money. You really need to feel emotionally like this is my passion, my purpose. There needs to be uh, a deep emotional uh, well of energy driving what you do because doing anything big and bold in the world is hard. It's hard and you're going to hit, you know, challenge after challenge after challenge. And if you're doing something just for the money, you're going to give up. So there needs to be an emotional connection. Like you're doing it for like awe or amazement or fear. 
that that if you don't change this, it's going to be it's never going to change, right? It can have an amazingly positive energy. Like for me, my first MTP was about making humanity multiplanetary species. It was Apollo and Star Trek that got me started. I was like, this is my mission and my purpose in life. Today, it's really about um, adding an extra 30, 40 healthy years on people's lives, longevity, right? As I enter my late 50s, I'm like, I'm going to add, I'm going to make 100 years old than you 60. Uh, and other times it's been with Singularity University and XPRIZE. It's like, we can solve the world's biggest problems. No question at all. And so it's like, you have to connect for that. And, and your MTPs, your massively transformative purposes can evolve over your life. They can be there for a year, five years, 10 years, but they've got to have an emotional connection. I want to return back to this, but what would you say now? And I, and I've, I've seen your recent focus in a lot of your letters about uh, longevity and anti-aging, as well as some other sciences. But what would you say right now are the industries that have kind of Moore's law-like features to them that they're they're exponentially growing? The the way you know Moore identified computer technology in 1966. And and one reason I ask this is in your recent letter about the abundance mindset, or no, the the three. D's of, you know, abundance, or I forgot the, the six D's of exponentials. Yes. You mentioned the word deceptive because what's important to understand with any exponentially growing technology is that it's really, really tiny at first, but because it's exponentially growing within a few years, it actually is a huge, massive industry. The way computers were, nobody cared about computers in the sixties. It was used to build rockets. It wasn't used to you know, for people to play Zork or other computer games on. But just like a decade later, every kid, including me, was playing computer games on their PCs. PCs didn't exist 10 years earlier, but that's how fast it was growing. And then, of course, 10 years later, the Internet's starting to get bigger. And then 10 years later, we have 20 years later, we have where we are now. So it's 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 amazing what's happened. It's changed the whole world in a few decades because it started at zero, but it was exponentially growing. So what are you like? top five industries that have that this, a Moore's type law happening? So let me layer it in the following way. Uh, at the baseline of all of this is computational power. So we're seeing this incredible explosion in computation. Uh, and we think of this as Amazon or Google or Microsoft Cloud, where access to this computation is getting cheaper and the amount of computation is literally exploding continuously exponential globally. And, you know, any one of us could access more computational power than the Defense Department had 20 years ago for, you know, for a few cups of coffee. It's crazy. And yeah. then on top of computation is riding all these other exponentials, artificial intelligence, robotics, 3D printing synthetic biology and digital biology, augmented virtual reality, blockchain, all of these other technologies, as computation is getting more and more powerful, all these other technologies are getting more and more powerful. And it's the convergence of three or four or five of these technologies together that are reinventing industries. And so my, you know, I, my last book, and we, we met in January, February last, James, on uh, the futurist faster than you think that I wrote with uh, Stephen Kotler. And we looked at industry after industry. And if you ask me which of the industry is ripe for disruption, obviously retail has been disrupted. It's being even more massively disrupted by, by COVID. But uh, healthcare and education are the next two to fall. 
Uh, I think healthcare is going to be, it's going to look unlike anything today within the decade. I agree. I mean, look at just look look at the recent books by Jamie Metzl, uh, Hacking Darwin, and and uh, David Sinclair, Lifespan, who kind of you know David's hitting it from the longevity point of view. Jamie, Jamie Metzl's hitting it from the genomics and and gene editing point of view. These are industries where you could say, okay, every two years, the ability to sequence the genome, the the price of it is cut in half. Or you know, there's laws like that where we could put numbers and see how this is going to change things. Yeah, and it's it is um, it's more than just you know. So what you're talking about is gene therapy and CRISPR technology and genome sequencing and genome writing and stem cells and Wnt pathway. All of these incredible technologies. And uh, but it's another side of it, which is AI to be able to process all this data and quantum computing, which is coming online right now to process this data and explosion of networks and sensors so that all of us will have a version of Jarvis from Iron Man and AI that's measuring all of our healthcare data and analyzing it. So, you know, one of the things I do, James, is I'm passionate about this. Uh, my venture fund, Bold Capital, about 40, 50% of our investments are in these health tech areas. Uh, my next book is a book called uh, Life Force. It's with Tony Robbins, and it's about all of the technologies in phase one, two, three FDA trials or the equivalent around the world that are going to add 20, 30 healthy years and add vitality onto your life. And it's amazing. People have no idea what's going on. And then I run a program every year. uh, It's a year-long program for entrepreneurs and CEOs called Abundance 360. And uh, I have 360 CEOs that I mentor and we go deep into uh, all the exponentials. We go deep into how the world is becoming more abundant. So this year, for example, I'll bring the experts in energy and food uh, and healthcare and education and, and show how these industries are transforming and becoming cheaper and more available around the globe. Uh, but then I also do a deep dive. Uh, in fact, two out of the six main modules of the program are on longevity. And we are, uh, I'm blown away. I'm clear that the technologies to, uh, to make 100 years old an easy, healthy get are this decade. So, so yeah, let's be specific. Like, what, what's going on? What's, what is the technology that is exponentially growing within the lifespan space? What's going on? What do you see this decade? So there's a number of companies Uh, folks like David Sinclair at Harvard Med School, George Church at Harvard Med School, companies like Rejuvenate Bio and Michael West at Ajax, all these companies are hitting on the fact that we've discovered the ability to um, reverse the ages of cells. Uh, There's a series of uh, something called the Yamanaka factors, which can rejuvenate cells, not to all the way that you can rejuvenate them to all the way to stem cells or just to a more youthful state. And, uh, and David Sinclair is about to publish work he hints at in, in, uh, in Lifespan, his incredible book. I love his book. It's a great yeah, audible great. read. He reads it. He reads it himself. I just highly recommend David. I recommend his books more than I recommend my, my books. <laughs> uh, but uh, 
he's demonstrated the ability in mice, for example, to go to an old mouse that has lost its vision or where you have destroyed uh, the optic nerve of the mouse and provided these Yamanaka factors and actually regrow all of the neural tissues, the optic nerve, regenerate the retina of the eye and restore it back to its youthful state. And we're seeing this kind of capability also be demonstrated in other animals and other systems. And I think we're going to start to see the ability to uh, do this in humans this decade. When I last looked into these Yamanaka factors, there were some issues. I forgot if they created tumors or there were some some issues, or maybe they just couldn't figure out how to get it to work for humans. But of course, this is something that's exponentially growing. So it, it kind of, you know, what what's the latest with them? The latest is that it doesn't actually create uh, uh, tumors as best as I understand. Listen, it's still early. David feels fairly certain, as do a few other researchers, that there's a there there, that we're going to be able to impact human uh, tissues and rejuvenate them. And we're actually working on an age reversal X prize that I'm super excited about. And I just, I think people have come to believe, you know, we die at age 80 and, and, and 90, and that's just the way it is. But you have to remember that there are species of animals on this planet, the bowhead whale, that lives to 200, Greenland sharks and, and, and turtles that live, live to four or 500 years old or older. And if they can, why can't we? It's either a hardware problem or a software problem. And we finally having the tools to understand it, understand why we age, how to slow it, how to stop it, perhaps how to reverse it. And that's extraordinary. And that's what gets me excited, wakes me up every day. What do you think of, um, you know, uh... David's original research was on these NAD plus boosters, like originally resveratrol, but now NMN, NMN or NR or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I'm a fan. I take, uh, you know, a half a gram of NMN every day. Uh, and there's a concept that one of the reasons we age is dysregulation. And what that means is, listen, your body whether you like it or not, was never meant to live past age 30. Uh, you would become reproductive 100,000 years ago at the age of 12 or 13, and you'd have a baby. There's no birth control back then. And, and by the time you were 26 or 27, your baby was having a baby. And the last thing you wanted to do was take food out of the mouth of your grandchildren. And so you would die. And our bodies never evolved to live really longer. Your useful age was over. There was no there was no um, you know, written language, elders. You know, there wasn't any of the value of an elderly population back then. And so what we see is that after the age of 30, it's downhill. It's downhill across the board in every system. And, uh, and there's a sense of dysregulation where the genes that should be turned on are not turned on and the genes that should be turned off are not turned off. And as we age as well, we accumulate all of this DNA damage. And there's a, a series of genes and molecules called sirtuins that have two purposes. They repair DNA 
and they regulate which genes are on or off. And David's work, David Sinclair's work is in this area. And as we get older and older and we accumulate more and more damage, the sirtuins are focused on repairing the damage. And they're losing the ability to actually regulate which genes are on or off. And so you start to develop cancers and you start to develop, you know, a whole slew of other uh, problems, inflammations and such. And so uh, NAD plus is sort of the energy of the cell and NMN and NR uh, are precursors, if you would, to increasing your NAD levels in your bloodstream that help power the sirtuins and help you regulate and repair more efficiently. So I also take half a gram ever since, ever since my podcast with David, I've been taking them, but it's always hard to tell if it's having an effect because you don't really know what you'd be like if you weren't taking them. Like, have you noticed anything significant in your life since you started taking them or you just feel good? I haven't been to a uh, doctor. Yeah. So listen, I, to be very clear, this has not gone through an FDA study yet. It's a supplement that you can buy uh, and the studies are and will be done. Uh, I don't have evidence that I can say, uh, you know, 100%. I have felt more energy, but listen, I'm a guy who's got a lot of energy anyway. So, and I'm doing a lot of other things besides that. But it's not those supplements that I'm excited about. It's the work that's going on with the Yamanaka factors, with gene therapy, with CRISPR technologies, with stem cells, with exosomes, with Wnt pathway manipulations. There is so much that people don't know about. This is an incredible renaissance in the biotech world that is going to transform how long we live, what diseases we can conquer and cure. It's an extraordinary period of growth. And uh, and honestly, I don't think there's any bigger marketplace on the planet. Right. Um, and, and so I focus all my investments in longevity, you know, tech and AI. So, so let's say you're listening to this and you're dri while you're driving to work at Procter and Gamble, and you're thinking to yourself, you know, but I'm I'm not a Harvard medical researcher. I don't have a PhD, and there's all this great stuff going on. It's gonna this guy's saying it's gonna be a quadrillion dollar market. How can I get involved? So first of all, it's education. It's all about education, right? So um, it's like Elon Musk learning to build rockets. It's begin by reading. Uh, so David Sinclair's book, Lifespan, is a great book. Uh, my last book, uh, uh, The Future is Faster Than You Think, has two or three chapters on longevity and the reinvention of healthcare, which are written for pretty basic levels. Um, and then I put out a, uh, a blog every week. Um, you just go to diamandis.com and a lot of the content I'm writing about is around longevity mindsets, longevity tech, abundance mindsets, abundance and exponential tech and so forth. So it's the stuff that I, that I write about. Uh, if you want to go deeper, my abundance 360 uh, summits that I do, you just go to a360.com, uh, abundance360.com or a360.com and and learn about that, but it's really finding the community that you want to learn from and learning from it. Uh, and whether it's because you want to increase longevity in your life or you want to figure out where to make investments, it's an amazing time. Would you say there's any kind of Moore's law type formula happening here? Like is our knowledge oh, of- Yes, 100%, 100%. So what, what's happening is the ability to use AI 
uh, for understanding what's going on. So uh, a friend of mine, Alex Zavarankov, is the CEO of Insilico Medicine. I'm an investor in it, along with Bull Capital. Another spin-out called Deep Longevity. And all of these are companies using generative adversarial networks. It's different. It's a kind of neural net to understand what molecules are affecting uh, and being able to increase the longevity of cells. And uh, I just got done with a, um, a longevity platinum trip that I run for my Abundance 360 members. We had uh, 45, 46 speakers, 32 labs. It was a deep dive for five days. We created an immunity bubble. Everyone was PCR tested coming in, and we stayed at this amazing resort, and all the speakers were PCR tested coming in. And it was a mind-blowing experience to understand how much we don't understand and how much is happening. Everybody walked away with confidence and clarity that we're about to have a longevity revolution. And once you've got that level of confidence and clarity, you look at the world differently. You are like, I'm going to worry about what I eat. I'm going to make sure I get enough sleep. I'm going to make sure I get enough exercise. I'm going to make sure I've got the right mindset because I want to live long enough to intercept these longevity technologies. It's to quote, you know, sort of Ray Kurzweil, it's living long enough to live forever. Now, you may not want to live forever, but listen, I'd like to make it to 100 uh, where I feel good, look good, and I'm able to be mobile, right? And then then I'll shoot for the next 20 years and maybe the next 50 years. We'll see what happens. But I'm clear that these things are, are possible. Um, and, you know, when I was in medical school, God, you know, I was doing a, a joint uh, program at MIT and Harvard. This stuff was was crazy it was insane today the idea of longevity and age reversal is becoming a much more mainstream conversation i like the idea of almost a filter of what was crazy 30 years ago and what's which of those are still are have become mainstream since then because that's a good example of the the type these types of exponential technologies what about in the energy space what's exciting you there Oh my God! It is it is the decimation of coal and oil and 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 gas, right? It's like listen, petroleum and natural gas and coal, coal is dead, oil is rapidly dying, and natural gas it's heading towards the emergency room. Uh, and the reason is we're living on a planet that is bathed in in eight thousand times more energy from the sun than we use as a species in a year. And we're seeing massive increase in solar production and wind. Solar will, you know, wind has outpaced solar in the early days, but solar is outpacing wind. Uh, you can see the trajectories. Um, and battery technology is massively improving. You know, a lot of it is thanks to Elon and, and Tesla. But uh, every major, you know, car company and tech company is working on this. So it's not a matter of if, it's simply a matter of when. And we're seeing countries like China saying, okay, no more petroleum cars going to all, uh, all electric. Uh, we're hearing rumors about Tesla's electric supersonic jet. You know, uh, there's a Is lot of true? amazing things. Yeah, I mean, I, yes, Elon's had that on his drawing board for a decade. And we'll get there. So, like, how, again, I'm looking for almost like the math of this. Like, are lithium-ion batteries increasing 
mileage without a charge by two X every year, or every two years? Like what's, so it what's... has been a, it has been a consistent 20% improvement year on year. Uh, but there, but the, just like Moore's law, it doesn't happen. There's what we call these S curves, right? In the beginning of an S curve, if you imagine it's a slow, deceptive growth and it hits an exponential rapid rise and then it falls off but before it falls off we've seen a new technology come and take the next level of the s curve and so you you sort of stack all these s curves together and we see a continuation so there are new battery chemistries that are coming um, and new storage techniques that are coming and on top of that we're going to start to see even fusion which has been talked about forever beginning to become a more mainstream conversation. And so, you know, there's one company uh, that a friend of mine, Bill Gross out here in Pasadena has created where you can take the sun's energy and focus it with a mirror to a high enough temperature. It's like a thousand degrees centigrade that it breaks water into hydrogen and oxygen. So it's a way of making hydrogen, not as a fuel, but as a storage medium that could power hydrogen powered cars and jets and all of that, but it's made from sunlight, hmm. right? Um, and he has another company called Energy Vault that's an amazing breakthrough of using gravitational storage of energy. I won't go into it right now, but it's a massive marketplace and huge investments coming and it's just in the earliest days. What about uh, quantum computing? Is that fact, fiction, somewhere in between? Because uh, you hear things about quarks here and there, but nothing about yeah. whether it's really real or not. So quantum computing is real. Uh, the question is, when will it become functional? So quantum computers, uh, I won't go into the, to the physics because I'm not sure I can explain it properly uh, or know enough about it. But what I do understand is you know, quantum computers, first of all, every major tech company uh, on the planet is playing with quantum computers from, uh, from Google and IBM and Microsoft and, you know, uh, uh, name it. And the ability of a quantum computer to model complex systems like weather patterns or cellular drug interactions or material science or, tra uh, you know, traffic patterns, that's where quantum computers work. They work in very natural systems that are not discrete ones and zeros. They're very chaotic systems. And quantum computers are able to, uh, to uh, model these chaotic systems and make predictions about them. And so you measure a quantum computer in a number of qubits, uh, where a qubit is not a one or a zero like a digital bit. It can be a one or a zero or anything in between. And we hear about uh, companies that have a 30 qubit machine or a 100 qubit machine. And most recently, we're talking about thousand and multi-thousand qubit machines. But the challenge with quantum computers have been the noise in the system. Uh, where are you able to actually uh, get an accurate reading if the system is very noisy? Uh, and the predictions are that we're going to see quantum computing uh, computers really come online in a very functional and useful uh, state, not in 20 years or 10 years, but in the next two to three years. 
And so what is that going to mean for encryption? What is that going to mean for communication? What is that going to mean for, for me, the most exciting part is new materials, modeling new materials that have never existed before, new ceramics, room temperature superconductors, uh, or even new medical, uh, new pharmaceutical medicines where you can model a drug on, uh, by, on a quantum computer uh, and get an answer of its efficacy without having to do a human trial. That's the exciting future that quantum computers offer. And you, you mentioned material science, and I saw you mentioned that in a, in a note uh, a week or so ago. I never think of material science as being the most cutting edge thing, but now it really has, you know, you mentioned graphene, you mentioned something called perovskite. Like what are these, what are these new technologies? Yeah. So you listen, uh, material science is the unsung hero of the tech world. You know, uh, all of the stuff that we play with are, are, you know, the batteries in a Tesla, the computational power in your iPhone or your Apple Watch, all of those things, the, even the glass, you know, the Gorilla Glass, um, uh, all of these things are, are new materials that are enabling new capability. Your touch screen, for God's sakes, where did that come from? How can you touch your phone and be able to do these amazing things on the surface? All material sciences, right? Um, perovskite is uh, the, is a new kind of photovoltaic material that's much much cheaper than silicon cells and has the potential, instead of a twenty percent conversion rate, to have like thirty five or forty percent conversion rate. It, it is rapidly accelerating; could completely revolutionize solar, uh, or even like the idea of room temperature superconductors. Now, the problem with superconduct superconductors are Superconductors are amazing materials that can that can carry electricity without any friction or any reduction. So you can imagine having a large solar grid on one side of the planet and a large solar grid on the other side of the planet. And if you connected them by a by a superconductor, there was no loss of electricity. So if it's sunny in the Americas, half that energy could go to Asia and without any loss. And if it's sunny in Asia, half the energy can come to the Americas without any loss. So you can start to connect grids that are, it's windy over here, but cloudy, it's sunny over here, but not windy. And you could start to set up these energy grids that provide you know, energy abundance on the planet. So all of those futures are futures that are coming from, uh, from the new material science, also enabled by quantum computing. And it just, we're at a very steep part and getting steeper of the technology curve. What about, you mentioned earlier, education. Yeah. What's going so, on listen, there? I, you know, I have two nine-year-old boys. They're upstairs right now, half on Zoom, half with a private teacher. And it's insane to think our educational system during the pandemic is on Zoom. It's like, you know, that's not education. That's, that's a, a false uh, substitution. The reality is that we're going to reinvent education, and it's going to be reinvented uh, by the convergence of artificial intelligence and sensors and uh, augmented and virtual reality. So the example I give is even in the best schools today, uh, it's still the sage on the stage and a classroom filled with kids in a, in a great school it might be 20 kids. Another school might be 30 or 40. It might be a hundred kids in a classroom. Half the kids are lost. Half the kids are bored. Um, because you can't give them that kind of personal attention. The Khan Academy does an incredible job. You know, it's part of the way there, but 
But eventually, we're all going to have a version of AI. Uh, and that AI is going to know your kids' favorite colors, sports stars, movie stars, their reading skills, their language skills, what they love, and be able to give them like a super personalized experience. And like, you know, uh, my kids are learning about ancient Greece right now, but they're learning on it in a conversation with a teacher and reading about, you know, Greek mythology. But I imagine if they really wanted to learn about ancient Greece, they would go and they'd grab their VR headset uh, in, you know, sort of Oculus 4 or 5 version. And they would be, all of a sudden, they'd be in a photorealistic version of ancient Greece. And some dude is hanging out on a piece of marble over there wearing a toga. And they sort of walk over there and they introduce themselves and, they, and says, hi, I'm Plato. Let me show you around. And you have a conversation and that avatar that is is so human and it it looks absolutely real and by the way it's an ai avatar that everything ever known about plato is instantiated in that avatar and you're able to have a conversation with him and it's as it's as real as it could possibly be it's the it's the combination of every expert who ever studied plato ever all of his writings right so all of a sudden, you're learning by firsthand experience on any subject you want. Now, that's going to be education, right? And by the way, it's going to be free. And it's going to be the same education for the poorest child or the wealthiest child, right? The same way like, you know, your Google or Baidu on your cell phone is the same for the wealthiest or the poorest kid with a cell phone. That's the dematerialization, the demonetization and the democratization of education. And the same thing is going to be with healthcare. I like how you think my podcast is popular enough that it's important to mention Baidu for all the mainland Chinese listeners of this podcast, but I appreciate China's that. China's amazing. I've been there you know, every year for the last uh, four or five years. It's extraordinary what's going on there and their commitment to technology you know, um, so, you know, uh, putting politics aside, uh, we're living in a world which is uh, is going at light speed. And one of the things I talk about in my book, The Future is Faster You Think, is that I have a whole chapter on the acceleration of the acceleration, that while, while Moore's Law is accelerating, the rate at which it's accelerating is actually accelerating. Yeah, and, and, and it seems like in China where there are less regulatory hurdles to the technologies that are important to the government, there might be more, they, they might be learning things at a faster rate. Like you, you can't really, you can't really take time off when things are exponentially growing because then people are going to pass you 10x and not 10%. So, you know, last time I was talking to Kai Fu Lee, who I went to grad school with and has become a, a kind of an expert on all things. He's an amazing friend, China. friend as well. Yes. Kai Fu is and, awesome. Yeah, no, he's, he's a super guy. And you know, his contention is that China might already, or is probably already ahead of us on issues like AI and, and even perhaps genomics. And for good or bad reasons, reasons you agree with or don't agree with the government is very permissive and uh, the government is, um, uh, you know, establishes, this is an AI city. This is an autonomous car city. This is a flying car city. This is a biotech city. And we're going to support with capital and put and concentrate the people there. You know, interesting, uh, James, I have a model. I think of AI, I think of China as a single corporation. 
Hmm. It's China Inc. And I think of all of the companies, Baidu and Tencent and, you know, uh, pick your favorite uh, AI companies as sort of apps on top of that, on top of China Inc. You know, the access to the data enables much faster acceleration. Now, what the price that's being paid for that is, again, something that we can have as a conversation in a different podcast. So what what other, you know, we've talked about energy, we've talked about computing, we've talked about uh, longevity, material science, uh, education. What else has this E factor, this special exponential factor? So it's it's the realization that we're transforming the world on a multitude of levels. We're about to open the space frontier, right? It's not going to be NASA or government agencies or Lockheed or Boeing. It's going to be SpaceX and Blue Origin and a number of other startup space companies that are taking risks. You know, in the next 20 years, we're going to become a multiplanetary species. We'll be on the moon. We're discovering all the resources we need on the moon, ice water, uh, and of course, the lunar regolith is made of aluminum and oxygen and silicates. And then Elon's got his heart set on Mars. Uh, he's building the vehicles to get us there. So there's that explosion going on. The other explosion that is going to take off in the next months ahead is the spatial web. It's the convergence of 5G and VR and AR, where we're going to start to live in the real world and in the virtual world, where the virtual world is really uh, enthralling and enriching. Uh, my nine-year-old is, is, is reading Ready Player One right now and having a blast, and that's his life. That's, that's the equivalent of Star Trek for him. That's what's gonna, you know, is turning him on. And we're going to enter a planet where, you know, the old web, you know, web 1.0 and 2.0 and 3.0 is going to weigh and and we're going to be living in the spatial web where everything, there's a fade between VR and in real life constantly. Uh, so that's going to be going on right now. It's It's so important, this idea of an abundance mindset, not just in terms of, you know, your knowledge about the world or your your optimism about your own entrepreneurial activities but also political optimism, because take energy, for instance, you can either say, listen, whether or not you believe in man-made climate change or how much you believe in it, there's, there's two choices. You could spend $60 trillion using current technologies to try to rein in what's happening with carbon emissions or these natural Moore's law effects that are happening in these industries like material science, like energy and renewable energy and so on these in general will, will grow enough that before we even know it, all the things we were worried about are just naturally solved by the, by the forward motion of these technologies. Yeah, James, you're so right. You know, it's, it's, it's hard for me to speak about that because I don't want people to be complacent, first of all. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's true over and over again. It is not because of people fighting something or people regulating against something. It's about innovation solving the problem, right? I believe more in, in Tesla, uh, which lit a fuse that every other car company out there is now going as full electric as they can and investing in batteries. And all of that's going to drive getting rid of petroleum uh, cars. I mean, it's going to be rid of range anxiety 
you know, my current Tesla gets 300 miles per charge. It'll be at 500 soon and then a thousand. And then, you know, at that point, it's ridiculous to go and pay for petroleum gas. Now, the car is faster. It's, it's easier. It's better. It's, a, it's extraordinary. Um, but, you know, there's a great example. Uh, 120 years ago, the big environmental disaster of the late 1880s and, and 1900, I think we've talked about this before when, when yeah. Abundance came out, right? You know what it is. Horse manure. Horse manure, yeah. We were moving, all of our people were moving into downtown Detroit, Chicago, and New York, and, and Pittsburgh, and they were bringing their motive force with them, the horse. And there was horse shit piling everywhere. And it was a disaster, and it smelled awful, and it, it brought disease. And the predictions were, oh, my God, as more and more people come into town, it's just going to it's going to be a disaster of horse manure. And it wasn't legislation uh, that changed it. It was the car was invented and the horse went away. And it, it was the car was just such a better, more efficient means of transportation that people got rid of the horses. And so when something is 10x better, 10x cheaper, you change. And so that is ultimately it's going to be. You know, I'm a pilot. I, I I fly out of Santa Monica Airport. When I look down, I see all of these rooftops, all of these blacktops. Oh my God! All of it's going to be covered with solar, and we're going to become a massive energy exporter. Nothing is covered right now. Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting because all of these things, again, this abundance mindset applies to every area of life. Like we just talked about, in terms of leadership. Having an abundance mindset allows you to see, okay, the technology is going to eventually catch up with many of our societal problems. In terms of business, okay, you might have missed the first opportunity and missed is the wrong word, but like you said, there's even an acceleration of the acceleration. So there's always going to be new opportunities as you learn more and more, as you become more optimistic, as you give yourself permission to be a rocket scientist, even if you're not a rocket scientist, a la Elon. I think it's also incredibly insightful to say, look, go for 10x in your life than 10%. Because again, I, I see it. Like, let's say I make this podcast 10% better. I know, but most people won't know or won't care. It's only 10x better. So if you're a content creator, having an abundance mindset is important because people recognize a 10x difference. They don't always recognize a 10% difference. And so, and, and when you when you force yourself to say what is ten times better, a thousand percent better, not ten percent, but when you when you ask yourself that crazy question, it frees you up to be really imaginative. And I guarantee you, for every single business, for every single entrepreneur listening, um, it, you know, you have to go into the crazy to allow yourself to think about 10 times better, right? 10 times better is a thousand percent better, not 10% better. It's a hundred times uh, better than 10%. It's not a hundred times harder, but it will, it allows you to leapfrog your competition. You know, you can get 10% better by working harder. You can't get 10 times better by working harder. You have to reinvent what you do and how you do it. So yeah, it's it's exciting and it makes the world a better place. And again, what I teach at my Abundance 360 community and what I teach at Singularity and at XPRIZE is want to become a billionaire, help a billion people. 
you know, the world's biggest problems are the world's biggest business opportunities. So find a problem you're passionate about and go and solve it. Well, when's your next like conference or summit or what can people go to? Yeah, sure. So uh, my next Abundance 360 is a program that starts in January. It's a four-day program in January. And then we meet uh, every two months uh, for two hours to implement it. So if you go to A360, A360 or Abundance360, either one.com, uh, you can learn more about it. And I pour my heart and mind and soul. And my mission is to give you, show you, give you confidence in abundance mindset and exponential mindset, a moonshot mindset, a longevity mindset, and help you find your massively transformative purpose. And the people in the room are running you know, $10 million and $10 billion companies. The network is the most important part of it. Uh, go to futureloop.com and see the world that's amazing out there because it, it will blow you away the stuff that is happening that you never hear about because you know the news is not designed to, to share that stuff with you. You can look at the future loop news in any subject you want. Um, so anyway, those are the sort of things I'm, I'm working on these days and, and super proud of it. And uh, it's the most exciting time ever to be alive, despite the pandemic, despite the elections, uh, we have the potential to create an extraordinary world and make our dreams come true. It's crazy. Well, when do you think is going to be the first time we see something enter into society, enter into our lives where we're like, oh my gosh, I didn't even realize this was possible. And I know this kind of happens somewhat <laughs> gradually, like, you know, with a lot of technologies, but to be honest, think a lot of internet technologies have not been rocket science. Like Uber was an interesting way of looking at the economy, but it's not rocket science. It was, it's not something that was difficult to code. For instance, even stuff like the iPhone is a phone that also, you know, the chips got small enough. You could play music on it. You know, listen, I, I think it's like the frog in the boiling water. It slowly heats up and heats yeah. up and heats up. And all of a sudden, holy cow, we're, we're boiled. I mean, uh, you know, you can say that it was the iPhone uh, wasn't incredible or that the iPod wasn't incredible, uh, or that, you know, FaceTime, the ability you can, you can literally, you know, ask any question and get it answered instantly. Like, you know, like, you know, Siri, what is the GDP of, of Ghana? As of 2017, the GDP of Ghana is $47.3 billion. Okay. So, I mean, like, how long would it have taken me, you know, 20 years ago to go find a library, see if it's got a book that's got the information in it. And I can know anything, anytime, anywhere and want. And, and like my Tesla is like driving itself and I can FaceTime for free with my sister in Greece. I mean, all these shits are incremental miracles that we take for granted. It's like, what have you done for me lately? So I don't know. It's like, I'm living in the future already. We're going to have robots. We're going to have AIs. We have a version of Jarvis. The problem is that science fiction is showing us all this stuff already. So by the time we get it, we say, oh, it's finally here. I finally have a Jarvis that can answer all my questions or is monitoring my, you know, my molecular biology, my body all the time. It took it long enough to get here. But I think we're living in, in a miraculous time. We're talking about connecting our brains to the cloud, dude. How crazy is that? Yeah, like 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 what, what's going to happen? So Neuralink obviously is is this idea of connecting our brains to the cloud. What's going on with that? I haven't I haven't read the latest on that. Yeah, so there's about four or five companies 
that I know of and probably 30 companies in secret working on this, right? Uh, so Neuralink funded by Elon Musk, um, it's a company focused on connecting the neocortex, the, the outer levels of your brain with the cloud. Uh, there's a company called Kernel uh, that Brian um, Johnson is doing. There's another amazing woman, Mary Lou Jepsen, has a company called Open Water that is working on that. Uh, without having to cut into the brain, it's using red laser light and, uh, mm. and echo. Uh, but it's the notion that we can read and write onto neurons. And, and so I'll, I'll maybe close with this example because it's, it's amazing. You know, if your phone wants to learn, do something amazing, like I want to talk to it and it's going to transcribe or it's going to take all these photos, and upload them and recognize faces. All of that stuff doesn't happen on your phone. Your phone sends the data to the edge of the 4G or 5G network. And all of that processing speed is done on the edge of the network. And the answer comes back to your phone. Our brains are landlocked by our skull. Our, our brains have 100 billion neurons, 100 trillion synaptic connections. They can't get bigger. If they did, they would cause your mom a lot of problem during childbirth, killer. Uh, but what if our brains could do the same thing that our phones do, which is when we have a question, uh, the question gets formed and then our thought is transmitted to the edge of the cloud where the answer is gotten and comes back to our brains. And so it's the idea of thinking and Googling and being able to connect and have, you know, uh, telepathic connections to other humans or be able to enter a robot and, and see through the robot's eyes or manipulate things with the robot's hands. So this technology is coming. Ray Kurzweil, who is my business partner, the co-founder and the chancellor of Singular University with me, uh, his prediction rates are amazing. And he predicts that by uh, the early to mid 2030s, we'll have high bandwidth brain computer interface. And I believe that it's 2020 still. And we have amazing companies pouring hundreds of millions of dollars. Um, and it's early. I think we're gonna we're gonna see the ability to connect your brain to the cloud inside of the next decade. And so, what does that look like? Is that is that cool enough for you, James? That's pretty cool. I think I could I think I could handle that. Everyone's going to be able to cheat at chess, but that's okay. <laughs> I think we'll give up on that. But uh, Peter Diamandis, thanks so much once again for coming on the podcast. I highly recommend. Everybody get your Future Loop newsletter. That's where I keep up to date on all my information about the future or really about the present as regards the future. But And uh, when's your next book coming out, Life Force? Life Force is going to come out at the end of 2021. Um, so pumped about it just to open people's eyes about the longevity future and the vitality future they have access to. Yeah, I, I remember in, in Lifespan, in David Sinclair's book, the, the stuff on Yamanaka factors was definitely the most interesting and the most cutting edge to the point where once that's fully understood, everything else is kind of outdated in the book. Yeah. So I'm, I'm excited about that as well. But Peter, thanks once again for coming on the podcast. My pleasure, James. Be well, my friend. You too. You seek the key, 
But first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system, up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant, with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today.